Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, Liverpool and Manchester City refuse to lose as both come from behind on Saturday to tee up a very exciting game at Anfield next weekend, in theory. Elsewhere, we take a closer look at a few clubs flying slightly below the radar. There's an awful injury and some awful officiating in Everton versus Spurs and the unavoidable topic of Unai Emery's future. Plus, Nico Kovac, gone, abuse directed at Balotelli and prolonged periods of mediocrity. That's a subject we're discussing, not a review of the podcast. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina? I'm good, thank you. Good. Well, I'm, I have just, I've slept about five hours this whole weekend, oh, and not dear. because I did anything interesting, but because <laughs> I just had really awful insomnia after I laughed at people who had insomnia because oh, no. I didn't think it was real. Oh, goodness. I know. More exercise is the solution, is it not? I don't know. I thought that that was the reason I was getting insomnia. It's because I started exercising again. Oh, dear. I know. Please, thoughts and prayers and practical solutions to Mina Rizuki and AFC podcast at (laughs) telegraph.co.uk. Alongside her, it's JJ Ball, King of Tactics. How are you, JJ? Hello, I'm good. I've been working all weekend. Good. Watch all the football. Yeah, good. None of that other sport. No. It's over now, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that one. (laughs) Genuinely forgot. Only took about four months, but they finally finished that tournament. Yeah. Yeah, We're not here to talk about that. Brian Moore is uh, is your man for all of that, completing our lineup. An unchanged lineup. A rare thing this season. It's Ali Tweedale. What's going on, Ali? Uh, Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I've watched lots of football, had a very relaxing weekend. Good. Feel refreshed. Good. Wonderful. Let's start with a title race. City and Liverpool had quite similar games this weekend. So... On Saturday, City was seemingly in this morale-boosting position where they'd come from behind to win, and then Mane struck late for Liverpool uh, to give them the exact same outcome, the exact same morale boost. Um, Is this, JJ, do you think the first major psychological blow being struck in the title race this season? And is it now advantage Liverpool even more so than it was before? I don't think it's a psychological blow. No, I don't think it'll change much. I still think Liverpool will have a bit of a dip. They have to have one at some point, maybe January, February. Um... And uh, what we did see is that Liverpool, we just know they're brilliant. Like it's, they're so fun to watch. I really like watching Liverpool now. And that whenever they go into games like this, you know they're gonna, you just know they're gonna win. Even though they're a, they're away from home, you still felt all the way through this game that they were gonna get back into it. Still felt there was always a chance they were gonna get back into it. Same with City. And I think with Liverpool is that they've managed to avoid any big injuries to to players, like key ones especially. And City have got that problem with missing defenders, which. I think we'll get on to but the game on the weekend coming up will probably be play a big factor. But Liverpool have that feeling of invincibility about them. And I think a lot of people have said it, but I've also been thinking it, it reminds me of how Man United used to be in the good old days when uh, 
knowing no matter what the score was, you always knew they'd be able to find their way back. And they don't they didn't change anything. They didn't go to like everyone always asks for a plan B. They kept doing exactly the same thing, kept it going, knew they'd get that one chance, that one little lapse of concentration. And that's exactly what happened, and that's how they got back in the game. Yeah, talk me through the comeback, Mina. How do they come back into it? They they are, as JJ says, I think, developing this almost Fergie-like sense of they can't lose, they're always in a game, and they never say die. How many games is it? I think that it's like every, in 11 games, every time that they've uh, they've been in a losing position, they've come back to win. And it's it's an incredible thing to sit there and, and, and train. And I think that that's what clubs created, this kind of mentality of... Not that he always assumes it's it's kind of like what he said in his interview, like I'm never gonna give up. We're gonna make sure that whatever happens, we're gonna find a way through. And then if you look at that team, you've got within it so many players dedicated to the cause. And I think Mane is one of those guys who Okay, I know that this gets said a lot, but I do I do think it's true. He's very underrated. Like, you know, when you talk about the stars, I don't feel like people turn around because to me he's actually like a world class guy who should be like playing for I mean, obviously Liverpool is the biggest club, but, you know, like when you think of like the world's biggest clubs, I feel like Sadio Mane should be in that lineup because he's not necessarily always, you know, the guy that's going to blow you away, but he's always going to try until the end to do something special. And I think that what's so special about this team is that they very much reflect the character of their coach and they're just this the side that just refuses to lie down considering how exhausted they must all be considering the front three have all taken part in summer tournaments considering we've all said oh they're going to slow down this season because they must do and they're still going they still have that belief and you just sit there and think I don't know how that's even possible I do do think it is interesting I I do not want to uh, sound like I'm being a downer about Liverpool because obviously they're very very good um but it is interesting um, the question as to whether this momentum, these like close victories, actually can continue. Because um, at the moment, it does feel like they do. They will just keep on winning, keep on winning. It felt like they were always going to beat Spurs. It felt for most of the game like they would get back into it against Aston Villa, and they did on both occasions. But they've had so many games this season that have been really, really tight, really knife uh, edge of the knife stuff, um, and. It's just I just wonder when where that like might start to creep in a bit of doubt about whether they can actually do that every, every for a whole season. I like what John McGinn said about this game. He said he talked to well he said during the during the match by half time a lot of the Liverpool players were like falling out with each other and shouting each other and complaining oh, really? about things. Yeah, but he says that normally means you've got them. You think ah they've like they've they've lost their heads, lads. You know you shout right. that at Sunday League, and then uh, um, but that also then he said, shows that they're just so together, they're just so, uh, what's the word, like focused on getting this result. It doesn't matter about being pals or whatever on the pitch, they're just trying to get there. That's a team full of winners and they win stuff. Isn't that what we were talking about? Like, you know, oh, look, is Mane, are Mane and Salah falling out? Is this going to be something? It just seems like nothing affects them because that's, they just don't really care what's going on in that in that dressing room. It's like they're so focused on the win that, that they're like, yeah. And I do think that they should have won this because Firmino's armpit will always be something that I just like. <laughs> they deserve to win that match. And I know that it looks like it's a knife edge, but I, I do think that, I mean, they should have been obviously like, you know, Gola before that. Let's not summon the genie from the lamp quite yet on the <laughs> Firmino armpit issue. What about City, JJ? How do they get back into their game against Southampton? Uh, same as Liverpool you just keep doing the same thing <laughs> eventually break them down they went down because uh, like a long shot from Stuart Armstrong was spilled by Ederson looks quite difficult to, for him to catch it it's quite 
uncharacteristic mistake from him. These things happen over a season. I think he's been absolutely brilliant for them this season especially. So you can't really hold too much against him. But then they just find a way through. They just know how to do it. You keep stretching the play. You keep passing it wide. You get the ball in the box. Um, they love that kind of Pro Evo 4 cutback where you get the line and put it across the box. That seems to work very well for them. <laughs> they, they, um, what was interesting was I thought um, Southampton did a really good job of getting uh, City, forcing City out wide in the, very much the way that you do beat City um, and trying to force them into putting balls into the box. But then when they did it for both the goals... Uh, both Angelino and Carl Walker just had so much time to take take their cross and it both times ended up in the goal. Still but. looking a lot more encouraging for them than it was after their 9-0 <laughs> defeat a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, um, yeah, and what about Villa as well, Mina? Um, are they now looking like the side that Matt Law promised us they would be at the beginning of the season? I think so, actually. I, was, I wasn't that convinced when Matt kept going on about the fact that this could be... A, but they have so many good individuals in there that really know how to spur the team on. I think they've got a, a clever unity. They've got great balance. Um, Sheffield United still my favourite team from all the ones that got promoted. Oh, we'll get there. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Villa, Villa, Villa have that, that spine of uh, well, Mings and Grealish and Mings McGinn. I know they're not like in a, in a line McGinn's like a spine great, should be. isn't he? I know oh, you're going to say he's Mine is Mings. I've been telling you for ages. Yeah. <laughs> he's so good. Yeah, I really like him. Um, also with Villa, they've lost leads against Spurs, Arsenal and Liverpool this season and been quite unlucky each time so they are really really close to being actually like a a good mid-table side Mm. (laughs) of course we're looking forward to these two playing each other and I'm not talking about Villa and Southampton Manchester City and Liverpool if Villa and Southampton are playing each other next next I think it'll be really exciting (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Man City and Liverpool play each other next Sunday it's at Anfield. What sort of game are we expecting, Ali? And what is the result going to be? I've got no idea. I really don't know. Um, I, is, is it going to be a cagey one where they're just both so worried about losing? Um, is, that's not really in either of their games. It has happened it, a bit when yeah, they played each other ha- exa- recently. Exactly. So it could be nil-nil for all I know. I don't know. Is there a part of you that it, it's strange? Because the one thing that I was very sure of when it came to Liverpool most of last season was defensively. But there's always this sort of side to them this side this time round on the season. Yeah, yeah, that you're they're a definitely bit like, not as good at the back. Yeah, they're, they're not as good. Yeah. And and I wonder whether like and obviously we know that City has a lot of flaws there as well. So I, it'll be interesting to see just because of that and they're all a little bit like, you know, that it will just be five all. <laughs> it could be that, it could also be nil nil. I think judging by how they set up against each other in recent games, I'd imagine both won't press high at the pitch they'll sit slightly off them to try and invite them out a bit but there'll be loads of fouls in the middle of the area of the pitch just loads at halfway um, everyone committed to getting in City are weaker at the back because they're, they're lacking that centre back they want I think John Stones just looks out of sorts a wee bit um, has uh, kind of looked like that for a while though. yeah but I mean there's yeah but then there's uh, Lovren <laughs> at Liverpool the stuff you can't talk about <laughs> uh, there's Dan Lovren who is clearly not as good as Joel Matip, who's really important to Liverpool. When he plays, it makes him so much better as a, a back four, just specifically for things in the air. But City don't play things in the air, they play it along the ground. And I think it'll end up being really tight with... Uh, I think Man City have more to lose, so they would be the ones that want to try and get a draw, especially at Anfield, where mm. they're unbeatable. I mean, it's um, I, don't think, I don't know who's going to get a result at Liverpool 
other than to some random lucky like counterattack goal. Well, perhaps it will be one of the teams in this next section, which we've titled Teams Flying Somewhat Below the Radar. There were several excellent results for... Uh, some of the smaller clubs in the Premier League this weekend and all of them having excellent times of it at the moment. Bournemouth are the first one. Beat Manchester United. No one really seemed to bat an eyelid about this. I was surprised to see it was about the seventh game or match of the day, just not seen as a shock anymore. But we've got to take a step back here, haven't we, Ali, and say how incredible that is that Bournemouth are seeing off Man United and what an amazing job Eddie Howe has done there in the long run. Absolutely, and I wonder if Eddie Howe is a little bit taken for granted now. Um, he's done such a good job for such a long time and it's been said so many times that it's kind of just like, yeah, he is, he is great, but he's got a, a team that probably shouldn't be where they are fighting competitively in the Premier League year on year. Um, one thing that he's improved this season is he's always been praised for... Uh, the kind of football that he uh, promotes and they play very attractive football. That's still the case. But now they're very much, um, they're they're more solid defensively. They've got three clean sheets uh, in a row now, uh, which City and Liverpool haven't done this season. There's only one other team in the Premier League who's done that this season. That's West Ham, which is a bit bit weird. But but yeah, uh, and so yeah, he deserves loads of praise, definitely. I think how should... Um, looking at his career and where he is in his age, he could quite easily go on to be a like a a top league winning manager. I think after Bournemouth, if maybe do another year or whatever he wants to do, go somewhere like Celtic or Olympiacos, somewhere somewhere where you can get experience of winning a title in a in a league where it's expected that you should do, and then he'd be able to go for higher jobs in the Premier League. At the is, moment, they can only see who he's getting to mid table. So this is because of ball theory, which is you have to have won a trophy as a manager by which age is it? Forty three. Forty three. Yeah. So it's all good, the best. It's a great managers. theory. If you if, if you Google JJ Ball forty three manager trophy, which is how we all use Google, <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll find that it's it's an almost watertight theory. On a, as well on Manchester United. So the, the new football yeah. manager has come out and I started a little save as Manchester United just to get used to the game. And the first thing you notice when you take charge of them is the midfield. Really Really is terrible, and uh, the first thing you want to do is try and improve it. And you look at the lineup against Bournemouth. It's McTominay, who's kind of ball-winning midfielder. He's not a defensive nor an attacking. He's playing more like Pogba at the moment. Uh, Fred, no, and Andreas Pereira, <laughs> who has been given so many chances and still just clearly is not. I think at the level he needs to be. He'd be fine for a mid-table kind of team, but even then, I don't think he's producing the numbers he should do. Reminds me a bit of like Tom Cleverley, a fine footballer, but just doesn't really bring much to the table. And I think he'd be really good if Fergie was their manager. <laughs> but, uh, maybe I don't know. This is what? Man United's team is exactly where they should be. I think mid table. It's exactly where they should be. They'll get a lot better, and I like the youth and the way that they can get better. Um, but as well, what Bournemouth did in this game is exactly what you do against Man United. They're built to play on the counter. They are much better on the counter. So Bournemouth let them have the ball. They had more of the ball. They couldn't create, and then uh, Bournemouth hit them. Well, can, am I the only person who's not that taken aback by Eddie Howe? I don't like. I I know that everyone keeps talking about. I think he's done a great job. Don't get me wrong. Like I do think he's done a very good job. But I think he's kind of the kind of guy that you would imagine for an Everton or a side like that. But nothing that I think can really challenge for. He's still very young. He's got. He's still very and young. That's why I say he goes to something like Celtic. Like Brendan Rodgers like, said, Liverpool was too big a job for him at the time. You realise that now in hindsight. Went to Celtic, where he then made them un- like they didn't lose a game in '69, which is ridiculous. But still, and also he won th- like well, he would have won nine trophies in a row, and now he has experience of winning, knows how to build that sort of team. So now he's instantly more employable to bigger clubs, and Leicester took him. Yeah, I, I agree with sort of the way that Brendan Rodgers did it. But even when he was at Liverpool, I feel like he was a good coach. Perhaps the way he he came across, he wasn't really media savvy. That was a 
part of like his whole uh, shtick. You, you felt like, you know, you weren't sure about him. But I do think that you could see something in him that I don't necessarily like. But he also like 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 how he got like Swansea to sort of mid table ish, like just just round just slightly above it, which which is about as best as they could possibly have done, and that was really his level, which is why he had to go somewhere else to to do his next step. On how Mina, what would you want to be seeing from him? If you mm. can, th- can you think of anyone who's at a similar level level, um, perhaps not in England, perhaps abroad, who you see traits from them which makes you think, oh, they're destined for a really big job and real success in the long run. I think you see it's it's kind of like when I talk to JJ I get the feeling that JJ believes a lot in the squad for example and it's like this is your grounding for your opinions thereafter so you you sort of grow up with a mentality of thinking either the the squad is is probably 80% of the result and the, the coach is 20% or whatever I believe the coach is 70% like I just feel like the squad is so like I mean you need a decent squad obviously depending on what it is you're challenging for but when you look at for example like I think Chris Wilder um, is doing an exceptional job with what he's got. Well, let's talk about Chris Wilder, uh, Mina. Sheffield United, this year's Huddersfield Town, uh, they've stolen your heart. Absolutely rampant against Burnley. It was a below-par day for Sean Dyche's team. But um, they've had such a fantastic start, Sheffield United. I feel like you do sometimes see promoted teams start this well and then there's a little bit of a dip and they fall away and end up in a bit of relegation trouble. Do you see this happening for Sheffield United and how can they avoid it happening to them? Well, there's every reason to believe it could happen. But the reason why I sort of really seem to believe in Chris Wilder is because, firstly, he's quite hard on his squad. And I think that makes the difference. Um, It's kind of what I think is so important with Klopp. Like Klopp is never willing to just make things easy for his players. He's always demanding perfection. And I think Wilder's of that same mentality. More importantly, he focuses on the right things on a psychological level. I, I think that he's fostered this great team unity that always wants to work for one another. Um, and you can see them, obviously, with Lundstrom making all these huge runs and um, and, and running as, as nonstop. But it's how much the players that you would never... Like, Musay was absolutely unbelievable over the weekend. It wasn't mentioned on Match of the Day, which was really annoying me. But he had a hand in every, in every goal that was there. He's really been coming on this season and you can really see the difference that Wilder's made with him. This is, you know, one of the reasons why I think he's such a good coach, why I think Graham uh, Potter is such a good coach too. It's their ability to talk or to take players that would otherwise be probably mediocre and really exploit their potential and start growing it. And he hasn't just thrown on Mousset all the time. Um, he's just you know slowly giving him the time okay now you get to start the game because you've been doing well wow he had a hand in all three and he's playing with the kind of confidence that I think is is making the difference and for me that's how I'm judging it I I think that the who the coach is and how much he demands from his players should hopefully mean that they will avoid relegation there's clear like gaps between certain clubs like no one's getting close to Man City and Liverpool just now mm. they've done that very well then below them they've got teams like Leicester done really well and uh, Chelsea there and then below those sort of rich teams you've got the other group and you put teams like even Watford they're, they're the bottom you put them and like Everton and uh, Wolves all in the same other category below there where I don't think they can really break out of that they might do it one season or another but I don't know how you do it other than signing better players We have... you think Sheffield United are worthy of being sixth? I think their squad is good. At, so Chris Wilder is not doing anything exceptional. I don't think they're going to finish sixth. Okay, but you think after eleven games to be sixth, that's not something of. Of course, I think it's amazing. It's it's just brilliant. He's done a fantastic job. But I think they'll level out. I'm not sure what we're even arguing about anymore here. Let's, <laughs> let's move on and okay, talk about Brighton and Hove Albion, who we've mentioned a few times. Uh, they're really clicking, Ali. Yeah, they look good. Uh, very patient in this uh, this win. Took them a while to break Norwich down. Um, Potter is doing a convincing job 
But with his uh, with his substitutions, I think uh, there was a stat that popped up on match of the day that they've scored as many goals by subs this season as they did in the entire of last season. Um, and there's nothing really more that gets fans on side than a manager that can make substitutions that change games, isn't there? <laughs> so he's, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's doing a good job. And what about Newcastle, JJ? Steve Bruce pulled off excellent result at West Ham despite uh, nearly throwing it away in the second half. Um, was this the sort of performance that will begin to win hearts and minds a little bit for Newcastle fans? I think he's really underrated. He's doing nothing different to Rafa Benitez, nothing different in this approach. Well, there's a couple of differences specifically in this game against West Ham that made them different. And that is purely that the wing-backs pushed up really high and it really affected the way that West Ham's shape was because then the boys were in midfield having to cover more space, being pulled out of position trying to chase the ball by the centre-backs. So the, rather than having the three, so like a, a one with two centre-backs, either you know one centre-back either side of him in their build-up play from the back, they would shift to one side so that you had three in a row, but they were, say, left-sided. I know this is hard to explain without being able to draw it, but the, the left centre-back would become like a left-back in the way their shape was. So it would be like a left-back, a left-centre-back, and a and another centre-back, rather than having it as a, a left-sided centre-back, centre-back, and right-sided centre-back. And the wing-backs pushed really high, that's how they managed to keep the the midfielders pushed back. And you had, like, Robert Snodgrass was going nuts at Felipe Anderson for a lot of this game because he wasn't following, which meant that Snodgrass was covering about two men at the same time. And uh, that's how Newcastle managed to have more of the ball. But the way they scored was, uh, was uh, set pieces. What, what do you mean he's underrated, but he's not doing anything different to Benitez? Because like, people are saying that all... People hate him. Yeah, people think he's <laughs> rubbish, but he's, like, he's... They hail Benitez as some sort of tactical genius, and I think he was he's a very talented coach. But, but Steve Bruce is doing the very basics I agree. very they did, well. I they did score from really set, they job. did score from set pieces, but they should have scored a couple on oh, the, counter, maximum, yeah. the counter as well. Really fun, um, but you missed those but this two like, one-on-ones. I don't understand, like, just lift your head up. You know, just I feel like you know, Saint Maximin just goes, okay, right. I'm I'm so skilled, and he is so talented. Yeah, with with his technical skill, he's just driving and right, lift your head up. Yeah. You know, it is really frustrating. But there's a good player in there, and I think we'll he'll. he'll well, this is yeah. one thing. I I mean, Bruce can really teach Steve. Bruce can really teach him you know, a lot because he has so much going for him. And I think Joe Linton is such a good player as well. I want to see how they interact and, and they are getting better at it and in that squad. But I just feel like Maximan has a lot of talent and he just needs a lot of guidance. Maybe it's just going to be a gradual process over the year. Each each day, each game, it'll be one degree up further and further until by the end of the season. He was like, so Newcastle broke against West Ham about three times from West Ham set pieces. Mm. They were getting torn apart every time. Yeah. Yeah. they're trying to get into the game and St Maximin is so fast it looked like Pablo Zabaleta was like on a different frame rate or something for some of it like you get close to it was also quite mad how uh, badly West Ham was set up you should I know when they're yeah, attacking set cover, pieces yeah. you've got to be thinking about scoring first but you've also got to be thinking about what happens if it just does get pumped up the field and it just hap- happened twice where it was Zabaleta running after St Maximin and uh Felipe Anderson was the next player and he was coming back from near enough Miles to the edge of the ball. Yeah. 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 But you notice that against Sheffield United, how poor defensively I thought West Ham were last week as well. And the way that they're being set up, which I think is very strange for Manuel Pellegrini because that was one thing I used to really credit him for. And you just look at that and they, they you know, at the time, Baldock always had all, all the space to do whatever he wanted on the right-hand side. And I was like, why is no one picking up this player? And you could just see it now. There's a lack of, like, lack of organisation and you're, you, you expect a lot from 
West Ham because they've got a good team and they should really be like pushing. And Pellegrini probably is costing them a fair bit. They're probably going to, they could start to lose patience with him. Yeah, I, I hope not. Also notice that Declan Rice ducks out the way in the wall for John Joe Shelby's free yeah. kick. Difficult second thing. season. Difficult second season <laughs> for Declan Rice. Do you have a friend who never pays their share of the bill? Or are your parents wasting your inheritance on flash cars and Caribbean cruises? Or maybe you have two children, but you can only afford to send one to a fee-paying school. The common thread? Money. And the moral problems that it so often leaves in its wake. I'm Lauren Davidson. And I'm Sam Meadows. We both report on personal finance for The Telegraph. And each week on our podcast, Moral Money... We're joined by one of our paper's best-loved columnists to unpick the thorny financial issues sent in by listeners. From stretching your work expenses to the ethics of paying less tax, this is the ultimate guide to what's okay and what's not in the blurred world of money morals. It's heated. It's lively. And it might even help you become a better person. Search for Moral Money in your favourite podcast app and click subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. Let's rattle through the rest of the Premier League now. Leicester saw off Crystal Palace in the battle of the early top six pretenders. I think, Mina, Leicester are looking pretty good at football. Solid, sensible, very clinical, lovely second goal. It's all looking a little bit like 2016 to me. How far can Brendan Rodgers take them this season? I'd say really far because when you look at that side, I just... I feel like every play on there is something special. You know, whether it's obviously Jamie Vardy who... It was such a good point when it was made about the fact that it's such a shame he's not there for the national team because I think he's just one of those terrific strikers that I'd really love to play for my team. He's so ruthless. You've got um, Madison, obviously. You've got the Turkish centre-back who used to play for Freiburg and actually plays with Demiral, who's the Juventus centre-back. Never mind, I always throw this in there. But I, and I, and I'm, he's really grown on. He's only 23 years old, really highly rated in, back in Turkey. And you could just see him getting the goal, his, his confidence, his ability to be a great defender, but he's also very good at attacking and, and dribbling and playmaking. And just... Uh, it's amazing how each, every one of these players, you would really want them on your team. There's not a single person there that I just don't think won't make most teams right now. Mm. Enjoyed Jamie Vardy's celebration, JJ. Very muggy with doing the very sarcastic eagle in front of the Palace fans. There's no better Premier League wind-up merchant for my money than Jamie Vardy. Yes, I do enjoy those. Vardy seems to really like uh, winding up people. He was, getting, he was getting some... Getting abuse all the way through. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and uh, fair play to him. Yeah, fair yeah. play, if, yeah. If there's one way, if you know, one inoffensive way of giving it back to them, that's perfect. Hashtag Team Vardy. <laughs> what about Chelsea, Ali? How good are they at the moment? We expected their season to be almost a bit of a write-off. Like everyone was saying it'd be good if they get mid-table, they're going to bring the youngsters through. The sort of season Manchester United are having, really... But they're thriving. They're playing very well. They're winning games, uh, albeit only against Watford. But uh, Lampard's got to be one of the early favourites and manager of the year. Yeah, um, he's doing a really, really good job. Um, they all seem to know what they're know what they're doing, know their job in this team. Um, uh, and it does feel more than when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had that like first run at Man United, and they were all kind of like riding the crest of a wave. This does feel slightly more than that. They do do look like a very good team. Um, Mina mentioned Kovacic last week, but I thought he was really good in this game. Just he's he, he looked like the player that 
what I thought they were buying. But just a player that can get the ball on the turn, make a dart between two defenders, and just turn sort of a, a passing move, defensive move into suddenly into a into a really dangerous attack. He looks really, really good. You know why I used to love him? I used to think that he was the perfect guy just to put on your best player and he would stifle him beyond recognition. But it's weird that I only recognise the defensive skills of Luke. But anyway. <laughs> Very useful player to have in your team. There was a late equaliser for Wolves at Ashburton Grove. Was one all fair, Mina, or did they deserve a little bit more against Arsenal? Ashburton. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not saying the name of the airline. <laughs> it's the end of everything when you start calling actual places by the names of companies. I don't know what to make of Arsenal at the moment. And I just think that Wolves are obviously a good team. You know, they always, I, I always feel like at the end of the day, they are playing Arsenal. So I, I, I honestly don't know because I thought Arsenal were actually quite good at certain moments in this match. I, is Emery the worst coach or is he, because he said they've got everything tactically right. And yet at there are certain points where they just looked like they were conceding so much space, so much possession, the midfield had no idea what it was doing and Wolves was totally taking advantage of that. Usually with their style of play, I would have thought they would be more than 1-0 up. But, I mean, getting more than just a goal. But I, I, I don't know what to make of this game because I don't know what to make of Arsenal. Also, if you're playing Wolves and you go up 1-0 up early on, it should be perfect, should play into your hands. Because that's so all they on, are. They're yeah, so good on the break, but somehow Arsenal still managed to throw throw another lead away. Did Ozil coming back make any difference for them, JJ? Uh, not not hugely. I think like it, I mean, the, the goal they conceded as well was one little lapse in concentration. I think playing Ceballos, well, Ceballos didn't track one runner and then Tierney left space between him and David Luiz. You can see when Tierney turns round, he's looking like, how on earth has this happened? And the cross goes in. And then Chambers is beaten too easily in the air uh, by Raul Jimenez. But, I mean, Wolves are a good team. <laughs> we expect them to be really good. But you don't think season. it was made easy for them in midfield? Because you just felt like with Arsenal's midfield, they, they weren't very good at containing the pressure. They sort of just would run back. They wouldn't actually try to intercept or tackle or steal the and ball. I, and I thought that... Um, with the players that Arsenal have, especially bringing Ozil back, they should be a really good counter-attacking team. So if you've got Wolves coming on to you, Arsenal should have... They, they just didn't really create... Win back yeah. possession, quickly but, launch it forward. Yeah. I'm not sure either what Emery wants to do with exactly. this team. Exactly, that's they're what's not, so frustrating. Yeah. I think that's what people find so annoying. He about. changes it so often as well. And then so it's because Jack is not in the team because he's been cancelled by the Arsenal fans. You've got <laughs> yeah, Torreira and Gwendu... I mean, Torreira, I really like him. He's basically like Kante. He runs around everywhere, wins the ball. He's amazing. Um... But then this is a diamond shape he played for this game. You've got Aubameyang and Lacazette up top. It's just, uh, it's just something lacking in that entire team. And I can't figure out exactly what it is. I think it's really funny that Jose Mourinho is linked with the job now. Well, on the, on the quest, I think the question was about Meza Ozil, so I'm going to go back to <laughs> oh, yeah. Go for it. Um, Thanks, Ali. I, um, I think uh, that he is the player that they need. There is, they're too disjointed. Danny Ceballos isn't up to the level that they need. Um, they need a link between midfield and attack. Ozil can be that player, so they've just got to play him back into form. Um, I mean, he's costing them enough. Just he's obviously a very good player. Yeah, I, I think he's just yeah, but just play him as a ten. The, but... the, the the persistence with playing all three of Pepe, Lacazette, and Aubameyang is just crazy. Like they're all very very good players and all have goals in them, but clearly together it, it doesn't work. And I don't really understand. Why Emery's just sticking with that? It's weird that Emery doesn't seem to. I mean, considering his CV, you would you would think that he understands balance a little bit better. But his midfield is actually, for me, at times like the least like organised midfield in the in the league. And with Ozil, my only issue with Ozil is that I do think that he's obviously one of the most talented players that we have. But 
he's such a confidence player that I don't know whether he's ever going to find that under Emery and whether he's ever going to be able to produce what we know he's capable of and whether he'll end up going into his dark hole and just be that luxury he looked, player. He looked pretty happy playing at Liverpool last week, didn't he? Yeah, he was, he was decent in that game, yeah. And, he, and he, when he looked like he was enjoying himself. I wonder whether fun playing, against, playing against the youth team, isn't it? <laughs> I wonder what? if they can move him out to the left of, the, of a, front, a forward three, like they used to play for Germany. Yeah. I wonder if that's a, a way to do it, especially now you've got Tierney, you can overlap, and they've got players like Torreira and Guendouzi. Because I think behind. you need the I link yeah. You're like, okay. Yeah. You've solved Arsenal, JJ. Okay. On Sunday, Spurs won, Everton won. Pretty awful game. Very awful injury for Andre Gomez. Um, we, of course, wish him the best, but we're going to have to discuss some VAR here. Start the clock, please, Joel Grove. How do you spend four minutes looking at a penalty decision only to decide it wasn't a penalty after all, Mina, and then you uphold what is basically a nonsense red card for Sun because the players got very badly injured? It's a mess. Yeah, it's all just a mess, but the referee was really bad. The referee was relying on VAR to make those decisions and... It was just all... The system just doesn't work. Are we just going to remember this season as the year that had all the weird VAR stuff? Probably. It's still still early days. Like, I know that people are expecting such perfection, but it is... I mean, like, God, it's been in Italy for three and we still can't figure it out, you know? Was there this level of outcry when it came in? Well, look, if it makes you feel any better, they were all quoting the Premier League as as the best league when it comes to VAR. And I was like, really, are you being serious? Are you guys watching the Premier League? But I think that right now... When you look at some of those decisions with, the, oh yeah, it was the Delhi Alley handball, for example. I don't, I didn't have an issue with any of them except for the red card. Mm. Oh, Mina, I'm afraid we're going to have to cut you off again. <laughs> Second oh, week I have in stuff a row. to say, damn yeah. it. No, no, yeah. please, please let no, me No, no, come on, we've got to stay true to our promise. Stop the lovely music instead, please, Joel. Yes, that's right. It's a Song for Europe, a bumper edition of a Song for Europe, because it was an extremely eventful weekend on the continent. Niko Kovac out at Bayern Munich uh, after their 5-1 defeat to Eintracht Frankfurt. This decision's been coming, me. Why are you laughing Because that's so a much? bad defeat to Eintracht Frankfurt if you're Bayern Munich, isn't it? Especially if it's, uh, it's the, his old club, Niko Kovac. It's is, yeah. When I was watching it go up and just Eintracht getting another goal and another goal, I wasn't that surprised because this is just what you've come to expect of Bayern. I, this is why when everyone was getting really blown away by Spurs, I was like, wow, they must be so bad because I don't think Bayern are that good. And he just doesn't seem to handle, he doesn't seem to understand how to give this team uh, a style of play, how to organise the team. It just looks like it's 10 great outfield individuals plus a goalkeeper. Is that enough? Because they won the League and Cup double last year. Is that enough yes, in Germany just like, to have a team of individuals doing well? Well, this is what it is. I think it's more the fact that there wasn't a great challenge because obviously Borussia Dortmund you know, fell, fell over with the, with Lucien Favre. Lucien Favre demands so much art sometimes that they don't have the grit necessary and they can be a team that can be pushed over and they didn't have the experience and so now actually even he might lose his job too and they're looking at the fact that they could be bringing in Allegri into Bayern which would really upset me because I feel like then they could have a massive run in Europe and I don't want them to um, for my own sake but like to be honest the way that you look at that you you look at the fact that Coutinho is not I don't think he knows how to use him or how to use Thiago Alcantara how the defence needs to be a little bit more strong at the back so I wasn't that surprised but there were just, a, yeah, like you said, a lot of uh, weird losses over the weekend. Yeah, so not just by Munich, but PSG lost to bottom side Dijon en France. Barcelona conceded three goals in seven minutes against Levante and Real Madrid nil all against Real Betis. Was this just a funny weekend or is there some sort of trend 
happening around the continent at the moment, suggesting that the bigger teams are struggling a little bit more this year? I don't know. I, I do think that usually when you think of the big teams, you think of great coaches. And like I said, I do believe coaching is, is very important. But you look around and there isn't a great coach. Ernesto Valverde, I don't even, even know how he's at a job considering what happened with Rome in the Champions League, with Liverpool at the Champions League. The fact that they always tend to fall asleep exactly the same way that happened again this weekend when they lost to Levante. Um, why he didn't include Dembele in the squad, the only guy that knows how to make a difference at the moment, especially when Suarez uh, went off with an injury. I mean, although that's in hindsight, but I think that he makes some poor decisions. Thomas Tuchel, this is his third loss this season. I feel like that squad will always have its problems because there's a lack of uh, tactical harmony at times um, a lack of dressing room harmony I, I don't think I think there are so many superstars that it can be hard to create a side that is always going to want to play games like Dijon sometimes this is what I think is going on with Real Madrid sometimes when you win so much it just becomes really hard to motivate your, yourself against the small teams, which is incidentally how I feel about United. But they haven't won so much, but they just seem to not be interested in playing any of the smaller games. And I think this is what happens with some of the big teams. But what irks me the most about this is Barcelona, because their team should be smashing everyone ahead of them and their coach is on 23 million. So I think really like this is quite shocking and I, he really should be out of a job by now. Is there a chance? Um, I was just looking at all the tables around Europe. JJ uh, was saying that he basically thinks the cream will rise to the top. But it looks like most of the big leagues actually have a good chance of having a good title race this season. Bayern are struggling. Um, Spain, there's sort of one point between the top five or something like that. Um, is, do you reckon there's actually a good chance of, a, of an actual title race in those leagues? Yeah, Spain. It's an. It, you can definitely get there with, with Spain because there's so many teams vying, and they've always. I've always thought it's an exciting one. Bayern. I think that whoever you bring will be better than Nico Kovac, and it's over because that squad is miles better than what you have in, in Germany right now. Um, so for me, I just look at that. And I think as long as they have a guy who understands how to give some semblance of a, of a you know united front and a decipherable way of playing football, then I think it's over for them, and they'll win most things. When it comes to Italy, it was only going to be exciting because we didn't know. How Sally was going to play his football, so that and Conte obviously came back, but Napoli fell away, so you're not entirely sure. But it's, it's still close up there, isn't it? It will still close, and there's every chance that Inter will win it because Conte loves to win a league, whereas Sally's going to concentrate on Europe, so it's going to be interesting there because it could be the first season that that changes in Italy. But when it comes to, I, I mean, even the Premier League's a little bit like, oh, it's Liverpool or, or That's City. That's what I mean. I was know? thinking about changing league this season. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not going to be in France, though. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're going to have to discuss the racist abuse of Balotelli. Is there, is, when this stuff happens in Italy, mm. is there an outrage? Is there any reaction really to speak of? It just there, I saw footage from in the stands and it was just so obvious and Balotelli booted the ball into the stands. It, it's just so ugly. But it, it, does anything happen in Italy? How is this sort of news received? Interestingly enough, when it happened uh, with Cagliari this season, um, with Romelu Lukaku, it got so much... I guess, uh, headlines around the world that they really started to be like, right, we have to start changing things. This is like, this is awful. We need to figure out a way of sorting this out. And I thought for the first time in a long time, it looked like they were trying to put things into place. And now what you're seeing in football matches is... Um, you know, the, the three-way protocol by set by UEFA that you do, you know, you suspend matches, you hold off, and if they continue, then you just completely end the game. Um, at least you're seeing the referees actually execute those um, rules. But... The, the outrage, it's 
what's so disappointing about this is that you have certain clubs like Roma who've acted well when it comes to, you know, if they've been accused of anything or um, they'll come out and they'll they'll always say, this is ridiculous, we'll help the authorities, we'll find who it is. And then you have a team like Hellas Verona who just denied everything that happened, even though it was so audible to everyone who uploaded. I mean, Hellas Verona fans were uploading videos in which you can actually hear it. And they're saying, are you being serious? So for your coach, who is a young coach, and you would hope that, you know, somebody who would want to help change things coming out and saying, I think it's a lie to call us racist. And for the president to come out saying, I'm sorry, I, I don't know what you're talking about. We didn't hear anything. You can't just accuse us of th- something if there's two people there. It doesn't matter if it's two people. It doesn't need to be 10,000 for you to be like, oh, okay, maybe we are racist, you know? Like, it's the, that, that. I mean, there's always outrage, but it's not enough to actually, it's not doing enough to change things. Let's end on a positive note, though, Mina, because Union Berlin won the first ever Bundesliga Berlin derby. Who scored the penalty? The winning penalty? <laughs> Big Seb Polter, QPR <laughs> hero Sebastian Polter. What a weekend. I was set. thinking what of a weekend yeah. for football. You know, for the longest time, I was like, how does he know about Polter? And then I was like, oh, yes, QPR, sorry. Wonderful man, <laughs> wonderful man. Let's uh, finish up. Uh, you're not going to let me talk about it, that's talk it. About it. If you want to, sorry. No, no, no. It was just, a, it's obviously a first ever. I didn't know if you had much to say about Big Seb. No, 42, uh, but they had to wait a whole 10 minutes of injury time uh, before they could celebrate. Interesting derby, first one in 42 years. Mm. Wonderful. Iconic. Wonderful. Finally, Preston North End have ended the longest spell of never being top of a league, which stretched back to 2006. I love a stat like this, Ali. I'm sure you do as well. Um, So they're now top of the championship, or were for a bit on Sunday. And I want to know from you, which other team or player has had the longest spell of prolonged averageness? This might be the most convoluted question we've ever had in this slot. And I want you all to note, as you think about this, I'm talking about averageness. I'm not talking about being consistently terrible. I want a team or player that's been consistently average. A couple of people got involved on Twitter. Adam McShane says it has to be Everton, quite fairly. And Matthew Kirby, who does have the Arsenal badge as his avatar, simply wrote Tottenham. No bias there, Matthew, but possibly he's got a point. What are you saying, Ali? Um, The thing that instantly sprung to mind for me was Coventry, who went 48 years without finishing in the top six once. Uh, They just, I mean, there was... There was some terribleness in there, but it was it was prolonged averageness for sure. They won the cup. Won a cup in that time, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A bright spot, but a good answer. Preston not won anything in that in their run. I think think they won a playoff final. There you go. uh, All right. Okay. (laughs) Touche. Touche. JJ. England. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. Also, um, related to Alex Neil as well, who, of course, is manager of Preston just now. Um, in Scotland, Hamilton just won't go away. Like, there'll be a nuclear holocaust and the cockroaches will survive and Hamilton will still be in 10th in the table. And that, it, it just, I mean, they're 8th right now and they're going to finish 10th again. <laughs> no one, they don't know what the point of them is. They don't have any fans. <laughs> Why? <laughs> so, Hamilton. Mina. I was going to say West Ham, but I think mm. that might be a little bit harsh. Yeah, I think they've been a bit too up and down for prolonged average. Yeah. So I would have to say it's got to be Torino just Ooh. because, 
you just kind of feel like every year they might do something special that, you know, they've got the top scorer, then they had sort of a new coach and they were pushing for top four. You sound like the Arsenal avatar guy off Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Juve fan picks Torino. <laughs> That's your lot for this week. You can contact me on Twitter before next week's show if you like. However, be warned, it's Mina presenting. I'm off. I'm very sorry. I'm sure it'll be a lovely show. Anyway, and anyway, contact me on Twitter. Why not? I'll still be looking at it probably. At Tom with an H Gibbs. The email address, as you well know by now, is AFC Podcast at telegraph.co.uk. We'll read out the very best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to Audio Football Club. Look for the words Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons. Thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. 